This is a GRDC podcast. Around 9% of Australia's cropping soils contain ironstone gravels. But the properties of these gravels have remained largely unknown until now. Hi there, I'm Hilary Sims. And more than a year ago, we brought you a podcast on an ambitious GRDC investment underway to better understand Australia's ironstone gravel soils, being led by the University of Western Australia. Well, 12 months on and after countless hours in the lab, we now have new knowledge on ironstone gravel water and nutrient use efficiency. To talk us through these findings, Deb Bishop caught up with research fellow and project participant Fran Brailsford in the UWA lab, surrounded by the equipment that helped uncover this valuable information. Here's Fran. Here in WA, they're particularly prevalent. About 24% of cropped areas contain some percentage of gravel, and they're pretty poorly understood for the most part. So normally if you're analysing your soil, you'd sieve it to two mils, and the rest of the things within it would be thrown away, and for the most part this includes the gravel, so it's never really been analysed. So this project's turned that around a bit and uh, by the look of things here in the lab today, you've been using some pretty cutting edge technology. Take us through what that's about and and what you've used and and some of the findings that have emerged from that. We've taken a really detailed look using some high-spec instruments at individual gravels to try and understand what's going on depending on what composition of gravel you have. Even though they're all called ironstone gravel soils, they're not the same. Some of them will be quite iron rich, but some of them may be aluminium or silica rich. The gravels will have different properties depending on which one they fall into. Compared to a year ago when we were first here at the lab with you, what research has been happening since then and what are we uncovering in that year? A lot of the research has taken place uh, here at CMCA, which is a microscopy centre, using scanning electron microscopy, nanosims and more micro XR CT scanning. So a miniaturised version of what you might find in a hospital to scan, for the most part, individual gravels to look at their properties at really high resolution. And then we've tried to marry this up with bulk soil measurements so we can then context that back to get grower relevant information. So as you say, not all gravels are the same. The samples that you're drawing from, where are they? Are they nationally or WA? A lot of the gravel samples have come from across WA's cropping regions in particular. We have also collected samples from South Australia, which we've analysed, and we've collected some native gravels as well, just for comparison in terms of the nutrients they contain. So even just looking through some of the equipment that you have here and you've got some cross sections under the microscope, if you like, just take us through for our listeners, you know, the type of research, the physical research that's being undertaken. You've mentioned the technology, but what is it that you're putting under the microscope and what is it that you're using to really determine the physical structure and perhaps how that will translate into the paddock for growers? Yes, so we initially went out and analysed over 400 samples just for bulk elemental analysis so we could get a grasp of what exactly is present here in WA in terms of gravels. And then we really picked on the extremes of what you can find. So really iron, silica and aluminium dominated gravels. We've taken some of those and on an individual gravel basis analysed the nutrient and water interactions. For the most part, we've tried to use the same samples on all the different instruments so we can marry that information back up. And we've used stabilised tope tracers to 
monitor where nutrients can enter the gravels, depending on the composition. And then we've also run them through the CT scanner and the electron microscope to see the elements that are within the gravels, how exactly are they structured and how does that contribute to some of their physical characteristics. Okay, sounds fascinating and clearly it is. Take us a little bit through the data you're hoping to generate, for example, water and nutrient use efficiency. Initially, we just wanted to get a grasp on what was present across the state. And then once we'd done that, we took a more detailed look at those three distinct elemental groups. So we wanted to really understand if water interactions and water and nutrient use efficiency was different across these different gravels. So we've set up some experiments to try and understand this better, putting them through extreme environments where we've put them in really high nutrient and water solutions and then seeing how much can be potentially bound, sort of a maximum potential for nutrient binding or how much can get locked up within the system. We were out with a grower a couple of weeks ago north of Mount Barker or north of Albany and they were finding in their ironstone gravels a lot of foss there but wasn't doing much. Is that what your findings here are exhibiting as well? Yeah, so we found just in terms of going out and taking bulk measurements of phosphorus content within these gravels that there's a pretty strong correlation with the iron content and how much phosphorus is bound up. What we found from then analysing the phosphorus in different fractions is that not all of that is available. It's quite a small percentage of that in terms of what can actually be accessed by the plants. So it does seem to get just locked up within these gravels. We found in particular in some iron-rich gravel soils down in the wheat belt that where there's been farmers adding decades and decades of phosphorus onto fields, it might still be there. We found it's even possibly just still within top five centimetres of the soil. So it's not moving down. It's not having the opportunity to be taken up by plants. It's just sitting bound to the gravels. Fran, what data and new learnings have come from analysing these gravel soils and samples? So what we found is once we've started to look in more detail, we've confirmed that, yes, there are big differences between these different gravel compositions. In particular, we find a lot more nutrient binding if the gravels are really iron-rich compared to silica-rich, as particularly phosphorus. So using the nutrient isotope tracer experiments that I mentioned, where we've added phosphorus to see how much can get bound up and where it ends up within the gravels, a lot of it just tends to get bound up immediately on the surface and isn't really going anywhere else, which kind of plays back into the what you might have seen in Mount Barker. There's a lot of phosphorus there, but whether or not it's accessible or if it's just immobilised and stuck on these gravels for seemingly decades is very challenging for growers. So is it a case that gravel soils don't reach their water-limited yield potential? Yes, so there's a few things that will play into the hydrology. I think having the gravel within the structure obviously creates these forced channels, so the water has to move differently through the profile. It won't move evenly. Um, the other element is, depending on what they're made of, they have different physical properties. So silica-dominated gravels will have pores that run through the gravel itself, which we've shown on the X-ray CT here, that some of these pores are accessible and the water can move in. It can also just get trapped within the gravels. So these gravels are holding on to water, and we hope to understand in the future whether or not that can be accessed by the plants or not as well. So that's the insights on water use. What about the, any new insights on nutrient use efficiency of gravel soils? So what we found is phosphorus binding does seem to be more of a problem in these iron-dominated gravels compared to the silica ones. We think because iron as an element is very highly charged in a positive charge and phosphorus is very negatively charged. So when you have these two come together, it's like a magnet and you just can't really break that interaction once it's formed. 
and these gravels are really rich in iron so the entire surface of the gravel is iron so once it's hitting the surface of the gravel it's just getting stuck there. Were there any surprises for you in the data that you've uncovered here? Yes I think the extent to which phosphorus can get bound up in these gravels was very surprising as I mentioned a lot of the phosphorus was getting stuck in the top five centimetres of the soil but the majority of that again was trapped on the surface of these gravels and if you consider the surface area of gravels compared to the soil fraction, obviously the soil fraction is very small. It has a huge surface area compared to the sort of outside of the sphere that you have with the gravels. It's quite surprising that a lot of that nutrient interaction is then still happening on the gravels when there's all this soil available for also having interactions with in terms of chemical interactions. So there's clearly very, very strong nutrient links happening. So this research has been underway for a couple of years now here at UWA. What information has changed, do you think, in the sense that's made us shift our understanding or perception of gravel soils? I think starting off, we found a lot of growers and consultants joking that the gravel fraction would be thrown away when you're doing standard soil analysis, which, apart from not taking into account the nutrient and water efficiency of the soils, is also going to weigh overestimate how your fertiliser recommendations as well, because you're looking at a very small fraction of what's actually present within the soil. In some areas, when we've gone down to a metre in depth, there's still 60-70% gravel, so it's a big proportion of what's actually present in the ground that's not being considered. Absolutely. So what's your hope now for this research and the findings that you've got? How will you translate that from the laboratory to the paddock? So I think the way in which we've found the uh, different nutrient and water interactions across these different gravel compositions is really going to impact management on site. All gravels cannot be managed the same is what the conclusion that we've come to. Uh, particularly these iron-rich gravels are going to be particularly problematic for nutrient additions. So whether it's worth continuing to try and add phosphorus to try and saturate out those gravels or not, or whether you just have to accept that those gravels are going to have a lower yield compared to, say, silica-dominated gravels is a discussion that needs to be had in the future. And where can growers get more information in regard to this research and perhaps catch up with where it's leading to from here? Aside from this podcast, there is going to be a few technical supplements coming out in GRC ground cover over the next couple of months, which will outline what we've been doing so far. And there'll also be a lot of information on the Soils West website, which is the research group that has been running this project. In a nutshell, do you feel that this research really has been quite valuable for growers in regard to gravel soils? I think so. I think it's quite a paradigm shift for firstly how crop science really functions in terms of research. Normally this big step back in terms of looking at the real fundamentals of the soil doesn't take place. It's a lot about what happens in the field and in glasshouse experiments. But in this case, because the gravel's just never been looked at, we really needed to build these building blocks of information before you can even get to that point. So I think it provides a great foundation for what comes next. Thanks a lot for talking to us today. Thank you. That was Fran Brailsford, Research Fellow at Murdoch University, speaking with Deb Bishop at the University of Western Australia in Perth. A video with Fran on these ironstone gravel findings, plus our previous podcast on this investment, can be found in the description box of this podcast. I'm Hilary Sims, and thanks for listening. <laughs>